It was just a few moments ago I suffered what may be described as a profound experience in hearing Dr. Heinrich Grieber, who I suppose is one of the unsung heroes of our particular century, our united century in some respects, and we hope enlightened, thanks to my good friend Dr. Howard Schomer, president of the Chicago Theological Seminary. Before I, we, we talk with Dr. Gruber, perhaps Dr. Schomer, if you were to tell us just a bit about Dr. Heinrich Gruber himself. I know that many of the listeners are acquainted with Ralf Hochut's play, The Deputy, and there's a rather interesting footnote in his sidelights. Yes, in the second edition of The Deputy, Hochut puts a note saying, I have learned since this play first appeared that the dean of the Protestant churches of Berlin, Dr. Heinrich Gruber, tried, as does the hero in my play, Ricardo, tried several times to be put by the Nazis in the ghetto and dealt with as were the Jews. This Protestant Christian leader would not be put into the ghetto. The Nazis didn't do that. Instead, when he tried to enter into one of the camps for the Jews, they immediately arrested him and sent him to Sachsenhausen, where he spent most of the war years atrociously treated, his teeth kicked out by an SS man, experiencing the kind of thing that we all have read about uh, as a religious leader who would not bow the knee uh, to the Hitlerian racist gods. You spoke of uh, Dr. Gruber in introducing him before uh, members of the Board of Associates of the Seminary as a West-running brook. Just a phrase, why you use, use that Robert Frost phrase? Oh, I've always been fond of Frost's vision of some little nonconformist uh, New England stream that prefers to flow into the Gulf of Mexico instead of into the nearby Atlantic. And uh, my friend Dr. Gruber is just such an individual. It would have been easy to go along with, to run along with the majority opinion in Hitler's Germany. He preferred to go the hard way because it was the true way for him to go, the way of resistance to totalitarianism in the name of the common humanity of all God's children. Well, Dr. Gruber, uh, I del I've deliberately asked Dr. Schomer to tell the audience about you so we know, have an idea who you are, what kind of man you are. You were speaking of the deputy, Raul Hochut's play, The Deputy. And since you are mentioned by Mr. Hochut in the play and are deeply involved personally in every way with this play and the meaning of it, you were saying it is more than it is not just the responsibility of a vicar of Christ, Pius XII. It is far, far more than that. Would you mind explaining that a bit? As he always said, Christ, uh, the charge of Christ are clearly and are spoken in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the priest and the Levi who go back uh, are guilty in the judgment of Jesus Christ. Uh, everyone who is silent to injustice is also guilty. Uh, a man who speaks uh, not to injustice or is too long silent is likewise justice. And that what is what the play will us show. Uh, it will uh, see that we have not the right to be silent 
uh, if we see injustice and inhumanity. And I myself, I have been silent very often. I am feeling the guilt of his silence uh, and of my inactivity. And what, what I have done later to help people and to uh, uh, speak and to uh, alter my su uh, suffering cannot put away this guilt uh, which I am feeling. Well, uh, Dr. Gruber and uh, Howard, please uh, en enter the conversation too. You spoke of the guilt that all men who are silent when something unjust occurs, as in yes. the destruction of the Jews by the Nazis, for one. Yes. Yet you spoke of yours. You were in a concentration camp, and you spoke of your guilt being silent then and watching. I remember you spoke of Russian prisoners of war being murdered. But then a listener during the luncheon, who was a, also a concentration camp inmate, formerly said, isn't there a difference between the silence of an inmate whose life may be at stake and someone outside, in this instance, say, Pius XII. No, uh, I think that every silence is uh, a guilt. In concentration came in freedom, and uh, if we are in freedom, we have more possibility to speak. But uh, that is my opinion, that the witness of creed and of love is more important than our personal uh, life. Well, I'm sure that the man who spoke up so vigorously in the discussion out of his own suffering in a concentration camp and his own memories of silence that he had to observe does have one point I would hang on to, and that is that silence is more costly and speaking is more costly to some people than to others. This is why I feel, for example, no inclination, and I know Dr. Gruber doesn't either, to accuse the Pope in Rome, Pius XII, for his particular silence during the Nazi period. Yes. He occupied, as you said, I believe, Dr. Gruber, a position of such extraordinary responsibility that uh, if he had spoken out, it could have worked either of two ways. It could have brought down with the madman Hitler and his regime lightning and thunder upon still more hundreds of thousands of people. And we have the advantage of sitting now after the event, looking backward, after the Nuremberg trials, after the full revelations, and judging that if he had spoken out, perhaps it would have diminished the number of lives of Jews lost at Auschwitz. We can't be sure of that. And he could not be sure then, if he had spoken out, whether more or less people uh, Catholics as well as Jews would have been given the same treatment. So I suppose that the man in the concentration camp certainly does not have the kind of public responsibility. Only his own life probably will be wiped out if he opens his mouth. The Pope in Rome, any other person in high responsibility involves hundreds of thousands of people. Isn't this, uh, but on this point, uh, Dr. Schomer, Dr. Gruber, weren't you saying that you yourself had a personal feeling and opinion? even though there's conjecture as to which way it might have gone, had the Vicar of Christ spoken out at the time. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I mention example of my own silence. Even the concentration camp Sachsenhausen, thousands and thousands of Russian war prisoners uh, have been murdered. 
I, many of my comrades has been silent. Uh, not because we uh, uh, think that we are nearby death, but we, as uh, SS murders, was in a bloodthirsty uh, frenzy, and we think if we uh, cry out that is murder, not only we are murdered, but only many of our comrades, and therefore we remain silent. But now I am feeling this silence, and later also as a guilt, and I cannot say I have saved, saved thousand Jews and I have helped so many people, and therefore I am without guilt. A guilt can only be forgiven by God and not by compensate with our good works and good uh, deeds. I follow that. I, I don't mean to belabor this point about the guilt in Hochut's play of the Pope being silent, because he himself says, Hochut says somewhere in the notes toward the very end, uh, you remember, Howard, about fence-sitters generally. It's over and beyond one person's guilt. Hochut is speaking of the guilt of silence under any circumstances, isn't he? Yes, and I think that the experience of my friends in the German churches during the Nazi period amply demonstrates that the neutrals, the fence-sitters, are the most uh, guilty of all. In a sense, the people who do the wicked things, in some sense, are doing what their distorted consciences dictate that they should do even as the tiny minority which resists injustice and unrighteousness at whatever cost, like our brother Gruber here, are following their consciences. But the people who try to find some area of neutrality when there is no neutrality, when you are either for or against human values and God's law, these people are the guiltiest, it seems to me, and I think this is where it becomes painfully applicable to the American situation today. Don't you, Dr. Gruber? Yes. And I have so always, I always said, uh, guilt is not only the bad we have done, all is the good we have not done. You understand? Yes. Every time we have omitted to do what we ought to have done, this is as uh, truly a guilty omission as a guilty action might have been. But what were you saying before in the roundtable discussion about the racial situation as you see it today in the United States? We are here as Christians, not as nationalists. It doesn't matter that you're a German no, no. and I'm an American. We want, with your experienced eyes, to know what the American racial tensions, dangers, and prospects look like for you can see it in a perspective that almost none of us here, out of personal experience, uh, could possibly have. Uh, I see always the greatest injustice is that one believes that he can divide humanity into souls of superior and inferior worlds. What we once, uh, what we once in Germany dared to have to do against uh, racial illusions of a uh, Hitler, are we now once again experiencing a renewed measure in your country where one believes he is able to designate people as second rate because of their derivation 
and skin color. We search anti-complexes, heat and revenge feelings. It all begins, and with Auschwitz and Majdanek, it all ends. Of course, this powerful comment I remember Dr. Gruber making at the round table, uh, Howard, Dr. Schomer, this point of, as you say, it's not altogether analogous, yet there's a strong parallel. Uh, he spoke of the anti-complexes, the anti-complex, whether the anti-Jew in Germany and then the Nazis are at this moment anti-Negro in many feelings, uh, even even unconsciously held. Do you feel this, Howard, since we're coming close to what you call the summer of decision? Yes, uh, it's, it strikes me with ever greater force that perfectly ordinary American white people have grown up, as I did, with good parents saying to them when they were very small and happened to notice that all the Negroes lived in one section of town and that the streets were dirtier there and the houses were more dilapidated there and there seemed to be more people on the streets at hours when other white people were either at school or at work. I say many American whites have learned as I did as a little child, well that's the way they like to live. In perfectly good conscience from generation to generation American whites have looked at the uh, Negro population uh, living obviously on a lower economic and cultural plane and said well that's the some people are like that and dismissed the question and so our silence became a massive social silence of acceptance as you say uh, brother Gruber of two classes of people yes, yes. first class accommodations and first class aspirations for those who have first class color namely white and second or third class uh, accommodations and all the rest for those who happen to be slightly darker or a good bit darker. Uh, since the Eichmann trial, I am feeling that the great danger in our time is to work and to speak with anti-complexes. And uh, men who work with anti-complexes remain in the state of negation, of hate and rejection and lose all moral connection, and that uh, is a great danger before which we are once uh, standing and which, uh, for which you are standing now in your country. The parallels, you can't get away from uh, the incredible parallel that is here. As, as we listen to Dr. Gruber this afternoon, his own experiences, uh, as we think of the play of Ralph Hooks, the deputy, I know Howard Schomer and I as Americans living here think immediately of a situation here. This parallel is not a false one. Oh, it was very striking, you know, when uh, Dr. Gruber said that often during the Nazi period, he felt that if all of the preachers, all of the deans and university presidents and notables of the society would on one Sunday morning, by quiet, concerted plan, wear the gold, the yellow star, the yellow star that Hitler inflicted upon the Jews to as identify King them Christian publicly. As King Christian did in Denmark. As King Christian did in Denmark, very good. That this could have had a revolutionary effect on the public opinion that wanted to believe there were two orders of humanity, one an, uh, an untermensch, yes. uh, a subhuman being, and the other a racially superior lord of the land. Well, 
what are we waiting for in this country? We have to have some way of identifying the massive uh, white population with the cause of racial equality. We can't all uh, be, be black uh, in the way that a certain novelist uh, made himself black, but I'm glad that a lot of people in Chicago today preparing uh, to demonstrate publicly in favor of the civil rights bill before the Congress, in favor of more sensitive handling of school opportunities by the school board and the city authorities of our own municipality, Chicago, are donning the funeral band, the black band, not the yellow star, but the black band around their arms. I hope they will be hundreds of thousands and not uh, consider themselves far out at all, but consider themselves acting in the highest tradition that the great religions have always uh, tried to teach and to demonstrate. As you're saying, this is positive act, non-silence, speaking out. I'm aware, too, of other engagements on the part of both Dr. Schomer has to catch a plane and Dr. Gruber has to go downtown. I hope, before we just close now, I hope that uh, very soon the three of us can meet again when Dr. Gruber comes through. There's so much of his story that must is so important for us in America to know, not as a question of looking at Germany, from the outside and saying, ah, guilty, but looking into ourselves. I know you. And not only looking uh, to the past, but only to uh, looking on the duty for the present and the future. That is a great question. Just this last point that Dr. Gruber made, uh, Dr. Schomer, as I say goodbye to both of you now and thank you. He says it begins with a feeling, just as it began there, of superiority toward one people or hate toward one people and ends in Auschwitz or Meitenek. This, then, I suppose, is our moral. Right. Dr. Howard Schomer, thank you very much. And Dr. Heinrich Gruber, it's been a privilege. And we shall continue in the future.